Hello and welcome to another episode of the Able to Care podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baker, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Nadine Sutton. Hello. Hello. Uh, so, a um, little bit different uh, again this time. We've gone back to a kind of an old format. We've been trying to uh, get more people involved with lived experience in our, our podcasts. Um, but this time we're going to be talking about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um and one of the things we found really challenging with this is is getting people with lived experience to come and engage in this particular session. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we're going through, because I think it's completely understandable. In some ways, it's a bit of a shame. Um, I think uh, both of us encountered individuals with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder within our within our working lives. Um, and it's one of the areas that a lot of people don't understand. There's a lot of people who haven't even heard of it. Mm. Um, and I think, again, like all of the stuff that we talk about, kind of reducing stigmatization, improving understanding is is massively important. Um, and as we'll talk about with with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, um, it, it it can be a invisible disability. And I think there's a perception that some people are aware of what's called fetal alcohol syndrome, which is the one where you might see some physical differences. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I know you've worked with somebody with with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Was it FAS or was it fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? It was FAS. It was FAS. So yeah. fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. it. So, um, again. A lot of the key characteristics, if you put in VAS in Google, a lot of the the person I was supporting had those, but Mm. there's some slight differences. So it's a really difficult thing, but going back like 10 to 12 years, that wasn't even spoken about. It was just that this person has needs, social care needs, and we just got to support. But I didn't know anything about the condition whatsoever or what it entailed or how my support could have been tailored better to suit this individual yeah yeah definitely so I think um maybe a good starting point then is is as you said it wasn't something that was kind of recognized or spoken about when you were working with this individual so Mm -hmm. was it did you was it in his care plan as far as written that he had that or Um, was it something you found out later so I'll be completely honest when I first started working with him it wasn't in his care plan and then it was incorporated into his care plan because they said some of his behaviors were related to the conditional syndrome slash yeah. syndrome yeah. um and even then offered no sort of training on it didn't really know what it was i googled mm. it and i'll be completely upfront what i got from was from that was oh it's when somebody's brain doesn't develop properly because mother is drank through pregnancy and it was so black and white that that's what i thought it was yeah but how he behaved or there were certain behaviors like repetitive behaviors and mm-hmm. things like that I didn't know that they were associated with the syndrome so yeah yeah, yeah. it was difficult there's a lot of people out there with um, potentially with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder that, that there are easier diagnoses to get so mm-hmm. autism being one of them and there is some similarities or you could have that comorbidity if they have their autistic and um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder so um, yeah well first off it might be worth talking about what it is so uh, there's a a condition called or a situation called prenatal alcohol exposure and you kind of mentioned it there when you said you'd googled it is that it is where alcohol has been consumed during pregnancy Um, now this is one of the things that Again, there's a stigma around it because um, that immediately insinuates, or I think people associate that with, well, they must have been an alcoholic or they, they must have been binge drinking and not being a good parent. Um, but I, I know that there is people who were pregnant. I remember the time when they used to get encouraged to drink a glass of Guinness when they were when they were pregnant because of the iron consumption in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I think is first worth first addressing is that as far as 
research shows there doesn't seem to be a safe level of alcohol not nowadays is that i know um, my mum used to say oh i used to have a fag on in a glass of lambrini with you and you turned out all right and that kind of stuff but nowadays it's just that's what they say not for prep yeah i think it's um it, it isn't the amount of alcohol so I, I think when people talk about um within a foster care community particularly things like um substance misuse and things like that so you know you kind of um uh, babies that have been born to mothers who are uh, on heroin or on crack or cocaine and those sorts of things. I think most people think they are, they're going to be fit. There's a, the kind of the adage, isn't it? The crack baby kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but actually alcohol, much more readily available, is potentially more detrimental to a fetus and the fetal development than most of the other substances. So alcohol um, is basically what's called, a, and I'll try and pronounce it right, um, Teratogen. Teratogen is a particular substance that that impacts on the fetal development. And there's a few other things, not just alcohol, things like uh, rubella and chicken pox and certain other illnesses can release uh, teratogen. I know about this. It impacts on the, a particular protein inside your brain that we need um, to be able to learn. It's all about the learning side of things. Mm. And I don't know what that protein's called, so no. I won't even attempt to do it. No. But that's what the... The T word impacts on <laughs> it impacts on that yeah that, that particular protein and and things like that as well yeah, yeah. so uh, I know that um, so there's a few different conditions out there so you've got the when we're talking about a spectrum so fetal alcohol spectrum disorder it covers a number of different kind of conditions within it and you mentioned there um, as far as fetal alcohol syndrome and fetal fetal alcohol syndrome is typically when alcohol has been consumed in the first trimester. And in the first trimester, um, that's where it seems to affect the physical development um, of the infant more so. So typically, that's where you get the, um, often it's a smaller head uh, because of reduced brain size, um, but also other factors related to, uh, a common one is difference in earlobes, differences in the eye positions or um, distance between the eyes and the width of the eyes. Um, but also one of the common ones that people are aware of is the um, the flat top lip and a, a small lip on the top there. So they don't have the same angel bow, uh, which is a term <laughs> as far as their philtrum is concerned. Um, but then there is a numerous other conditions under that kind of ba- uh, that bracket as well of uh, partial fetal alcohol syndrome, which obviously shows some of the signs, but not as many. It's not as clear cut. And then you've got kind of a broader bracket of neurodevelopmental disorders uh, caused by perinatal alcohol exposure. Um, And that kind of covers quite a broad array of almost invisible disabilities. So you don't have any of the physical differences, um, but it does seem to, it affects the central nervous system. It still affects the way the brain has developed and the way the brain grows. So, um, as far as we've got some details and we, we pulled up some information as far as there's a few different areas of the brain that it can affect. So it can, uh, there's a, an area of the brain, this is where the geeky bit comes in, but the corpus callosum is the bit down the middle of the brain Here where the information <laughs> passes between <laughs> the left and right hemisphere. And that can that can be thin in those with fetal alcohol syndrome or spectrum disorder. Um, difficulty in movement, so areas affecting the cerebellum, um, the basal ganglia as well, which is associated with those with ADHD and Tourette's, which is associated with movement. So that can, um, that can also be affected. Uh, and then your favorite lobe. Um, <laughs> sorry, Am I just, ever going to live this one? Down? No. So just yeah. so those of you who haven't watched this before, Nadine once said, um, was talking about the brain and said her favorite lobe was the, the frontal lobe. So that's an ongoing joke now because not many people have a favorite lobe. <laughs> 
but Nadine does. Uh, it's still my favourite as well. It's, it's still your favourite lobe. Yeah. Favourite meal, favourite colour, favourite lobe. Well, What's that, your favourite lobe? Yeah, add it in. Add it into your any dates or any Tinder profile. Make sure you put that out there. Favourite lobe is. Take that so, out there. <laughs> I don't want people messaging me. <laughs> What's your favourite lobe, love? Yeah. Um, okay, so... As far as talking about some of the, the differences, well, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, I think it's, I completely understand why we, we had a couple of people who were interested in coming in and talking about um, children, either they're adopting, fostering or, um, or have adopted, um, about fetal alcohol syndrome and fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, but I found it quite difficult uh, to get them engaged. I think there's a nervousness about it. And I think part of it is, especially if it was a, a biological mother, it'd be an element of the stigmatization around it that, you know, what it says about them and the guilt. <clears throat> and that's why quite a lot of kids don't get diagnosed as well with, with the invisible variation, because to, unless there is the physical differences, the diagnosis is really, diagnosis is really difficult to get because it requires the mum to admit they were consuming alcohol during pregnancy. That's it. I did do, I did go on a few like uh, FAS forums and stuff. Like I did a bit of research into what people with children with fuzz were actually feeling when I had we, mm. we couldn't get anybody on the podcast and it is the general feeling that I've done something really bad yeah. I look like a terrible human but I'd, I'd even read one article where a lady was really upset you could you could see it in the way that she wrote it and she's like people think I'm a bad parent I'm a horrible mother she says I didn't know I was pregnant and I just went out partying and just mm. I only found out when I was eight months and by then the damage had kind of been done a little bit so yeah, when when I read those, obviously my understanding's got better mm. as years have gone on, but it gave me more of a, an extra understanding there that, yeah. you know, yes, there is people out there that will drink knowing that they're pregnant. So as far as referring to getting people lived experience, as we said, there's, um, I think it's very difficult for a biological mother who's later on gets that diagnosis for a child of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or whichever of the variation it is because it's that stigmatization. But I think even uh, the there is people in my life that I know that have children with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders or FAS and uh, even though they're adopted parents or foster carers, I think there's also a, an exposing the child. I think people are maybe more willing to talk about something like ADHD and autism, whereas that fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is still, maybe it's because it's commonly misunderstood or it's got a higher level of, of stigma around it that they're conscious about anybody knowing about their, their child having it, which I completely understand. Yeah, it's not spoken about as much as some of the other conditions that you've mentioned. Mm. And it, I do wonder why. And again, I think it might be because we don't want to perceive there's something wrong with our child yeah. and those sorts of things. But yeah, there is a lot of stigma around it. And the, you know, I'll hold my hands up. I was one of those people probably 12 years ago, but mm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think it was um, maybe just touching on a few bits of, of, so how does it affect, how does it impact on a person? Um, so it is commonly a, a learning disability. So it does impact on their, their, intelligence quota as well as their ability to learn new skills and i think that's one of the things that's that's worthwhile kind of understanding about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders because it is a it affects the way they learn it doesn't mean that they can't learn they just have to learn in a different way or the expectations for them has to be met there's a um, a really interesting 
diagram that um, or a chart that I often show in a lot of the courses and I know you've used it as well. Uh, so this particular diagram uh, kind of gives the breakdown in different cognitive areas for an 18 year old with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And it kind of outlines as far as um, they're 18 chronologically, but their communication age is, well, receptive communication, understanding and memory is sitting more about the age of 11. Um, even though they're uh, expressive communication is actually sitting up at a higher level, like the age of 20. So that causes some confusion because they can sound, or this individual, for example, in this particular circumstance, would potentially sound quite together, quite with it, like a high level of, of kind of understanding because of language. And there's an assumption we make, isn't there, that, that somebody who can talk well is immediately perceived to be intelligent. But then, so if somebody sounds 20 and speaks in a very mature way, then people then try and speak to them in that same mature way, but their receptive understanding was sitting around, say, 11, 12, 13, which means that's not going not gonna to work for them. I think it had um, social skills sitting at the age of seven. Um, it had uh, emotional control sitting around the age of six. Um, and there's a lot of different conditions that we we teach about and talk about that, that affects in a similar way within within child settings, whether it be developmental trauma or ADHD or autism, where there is a difference in how well the brain effectively works or or the skills in that particular area. But the problem is for that 18-year-old, society is going to see them as an 18-year-old, especially if there's no physical differences or anything like that. So suddenly the expectations that they should be able to do this, should be able to do that, should be able to do the other, or they're not going to meet. And because they can't meet that, that's going to impact on their self-esteem and their progression and how they're perceived as an individual and those sorts of things. And that's where it's a shame in some ways that, you know, there wasn't, there isn't more awareness about, you know, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and, and how it affects the individual, because they may be perceived as just a bad person rather than just a case of they've got a learning disability. There's a statistic I read one time, and I sometimes refer to it, and I, I never remember whether I've got it right, but they do believe that a significant proportion of the American prison population would potentially get the diagnosis of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So a high percentage of individuals in prisons aren't bad. They've potentially got a, a learning disability or a learning difference. And I think that's that's really sad in some ways, isn't it? As yeah, as, yeah, definitely. I think it's a hard one because like you said, a lot of kids don't get diagnosed till they're a bit older. Mm. And I think it's parents or carers or whoever it may be searching for an answer to yeah. particular behaviours or the way that they present. But just from my experience, FAS is really difficult. Like the, the person that I looked after like I know we mentioned some facial features and things like that mm. you wouldn't have noticed no. No. no I say if it's only that fuzz you'd notice and actually quite a lot of the features by the time they're seven um most kids are kind of grown out of those features as well yeah, so they're not as not as obvious they don't meet the same uh yeah they're, they're harder to recognize harder to pick up on mm -hmm. one of the uh things that fetal alcohol spectrum disorder affects is memory so both it can be short-term and long-term memory as well um so obviously short-term memory can be things like your working memory and those sorts of things as far as you know forgetting the last thing a person told you to do which might mean they come across like they're being disobedient or not following uh not following instructions properly because it might be because they didn't remember it all but the other one is a long-term memory 
or it affects their memory. So one of the things is that they often misremember, which is a term called confabulation. Uh, and I believe you've come across confabulation a number of times in your career, haven't you? And, and it happens in dementia as well as other conditions as well. So do you want to expand on, on what that is a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so, so the way it's perceived is that somebody's lying about something. So they make something up and they're just making an outright lie. But with when we have conditions alongside it, it's their perception of yeah. something that's actually going on. Um, so that's where it gets a little bit difficult because, again, alongside a learning disability, perception is different. Mm. So we do know that anyway. Um, again, other conditions have that have that same effect. So their per perception of a situation. Now, I'll give you an example. Uh, the person I work with. Um, we like a staff member had their phone on the side and this person picked the phone up and he was like, oh, this is, this is mine now because you've left it there. And he just made up this big scenario and a bit of a story mm. about how the phone now belonged to them yeah. because it wasn't anybody else's and it, 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 a little bit of a background story with it as well. So this is mine and I lost one ages ago. Yeah. And the staff member was like, I know it's my phone. Please may I have my phone back. Yeah. Eventually got it through humor yeah. and things like that. But we had a big, massive story and scenario to go mm. along with it. So, yeah. yeah. So that, that kind of covers a, uh, another little bit, which I know is something that affects another area. So that's that's kind of got some confabulation in there. Mm. The one I use for confabulation is if, if you imagine that I moved something from one side of the room to the other, but then I didn't remember moving it. Well, then how did it move? Mm. Things don't move by themselves. So my brain then is automatically going to work out, well, somebody must have moved it. And if I don't remember doing it, it must have been somebody else. And this is where you get, and I know uh, like conditions like Korsakoff syndrome um, is quite common where this happens, where they'll come out of the room and go, who's been in my room? And it's because they've moved their stuff, but they don't remember moving it. So they then the brain makes up the story well, somebody else must have moved it. I mean, I think we all do it to a certain extent. Oh, you blame others for the, if you don't remember something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think that's, again, is, is sort of... It's considered to be lying. Um, mm. All the assumption is that they're lying and they're purposely, they're doing it to be purposely deceitful. Yeah, of course. Whereas it's a misremembering of the actual circumstances. Yeah. Um, so again, it's one of those labels that gets, that gets thrown around or if it isn't recognised, it's it's going to be picked up as they're being naughty or a bad kid or, a, you know, they're, they're lying rather than, oh, yeah, it's not their fault. It's something their brain does. They're doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. um, the other bit that you mentioned in there is the, the concept of ownership, and I've come across that. Uh, so ownership is quite an abstract concept. And one thing that, that some individuals with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder struggle with is abstract concepts. So don't touch things that don't belong to you. Okay, that's an abstract phrase. It's not a concrete phrase because it's all about imagining that an item is belonging to somebody else and therefore you mustn't touch it. So when I'm talking about this, I, I kind of raise it in what is ownership? Well, as, and you gave the phone is a, is a really good example, actually. I often use my phone. So if I left the room and I left my phone on the table, would you still know that that phone was mine? No, and how would mine. you know it is my phone? Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's it. It's because um, it's got my details on it. It's got my texts on it. It's previously mine. I potentially have the receipt somewhere for it and those sorts of things. But if you look at a concrete concept of ownership is I have it. Is that ownership is, you know, possession is nine tenths of the law kind of thing. But that's a concrete concept of ownership that if I have it in my hand, then surely it's me that owns it. Um, so that could be a difficult concept for for individuals with local spectrum disorder to understand. Because of that, that abstract concept of so who owns something on the shop shop shelf? And, and it maybe struggles. So this is a, a, a thing that I 
I came across a situation that happened. So uh, we're in a, a supermarket and uh, we're just about to kind of leave. And, and this lad had a ball in his hand. And it was a case of, you can't just leave the supermarket out. Where did you get that from? And his response was, I found it. We found it in a supermarket. So it was probably stock. <laughs> it wasn't just randomly. But if you put that into a different context, if we were down the park and we found a football and there was nobody else around, we'd what would we say? Oh, look, we found a football. So what had happened is that all the other footballs had been in one particular space, but this one football had been on a different shelf, had been in a different place. So more than likely, another mum had stopped a kid from nicking a football and just not put it back properly, just put it back somewhere. Um, so straight away, you can understand why he didn't connect that that ball is the same as those balls and therefore that ownership. And I, I found it. It wasn't with other balls. It wasn't anybody else around who claimed it and therefore it was mine. So one of the things that... Um, uh, we had to do is um, with one situation is that anything that was theirs we put their name on it because then we can have a concrete concept of ownership being like is that yours I don't know is your name on it and therefore if his name wasn't on it then it wasn't his yeah see my my person he, uh, they had a key to their bedroom door because mm. we had a lot of the same situations and things go missing or accusations and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So he had a key and it, nobody else had the key but yeah. him, not yeah. even staff members. It, it, it was low level of support. So yeah. yeah, that made him feel so much better. Yeah, because he then didn't have the reason to think anybody else has been in my bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. So yeah, with the, uh, so some of the other conditioning factors that seem to uh, to affect then, um, the impaired executive functioning. So that's that frontal lobe bit of the brain, favorite lobe, um, where they struggle with planning, problem solving and impulse control. So if we take the impulse control as an example, there's two that you kind of counter for this. So one is impulse control. Um, I think we might have spoken about on podcasts before, but the Stroop test, where the Stroop test? Do you know what? My frontal lobe can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be your, uh, that'd be oh, hippocampus, no, uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> be your temporal lobe. Um, <laughs> but the uh, so the Stroop test, I know, I know we've spoken about it, and you, I think you've done it in some courses. Yeah. Um, but where you have lots of uh, names of colours written on a piece of paper, and sometimes the colours, the colour of the font or the colour of the ink matches the word, and sometimes then on a different um, version of the test, then the word and font don't match so it says red but the color of the font is green and it you get, boggles your mind that one it does it? yeah uh, and you what you do is you get people to um basically read out loud not saying the word but naming the color of the font and when it's when it says red and is red they get through that very very quickly but when it says red but is green and they're meant to be naming that it is green their brain tries to read red first then they have to inhibit themselves and then say what they're meant to be saying so it slows them right down and most people take about three times as long to read through this list of words than it does when it's when they're matching and that's an example what's called the Stroop test and that's an example of that executive functioning you're in, in inhibition part of the brain being able to go no that's not what we're doing right now stop and then readdress itself um so that's kind of what they call uh, cold executive functionings then you've got what we call hot executive functionings uh, and a good example of that is a marshmallow test which is where children are sat in front of a marshmallow they're told they can eat it straight away or if they wait till the experimenter comes back or if they ring a bell um then somebody will come in and they can have two marshmallows um as long as it's over a certain time um and the kids 
you know, some kids are able to delay that gratification and they wait for the two. But it'd be very common for a, a kid with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder to just eat that marshmallow straight away. Why delay when I can have that now? I can't even hold on to that concept of, of what's coming in the future. So that impulse control be, but that, that looks nice. I need to eat it. So again, that's going to, as far as um, some of these, you can see why naughty kids would, would get these kind of um, these stigmatization or judgments around them. But is it something else going on, whether it be ADHD or FAS or, or whatever the condition is? Um, there is some sensory difference as well. So sensory issues. Now, obviously, we've done loads of podcasts on on sensory so i'd encourage anybody to go back and look at some of the other videos we've done uh particularly around the one on um sensory processing in autism because there is a a lot of crossover so uh, many individuals feel alcohol spectrum disorder did you did your guy have any sensory issues um not that i'm aware of no. um it's hard to tell from way back then mm -hmm. but no not that not that i'm aware of no. okay. well. um uh, so uh, continuing on with the kind of symptoms then one of the things they uh, also seem to struggle with is uh picking up on social cues which again is that where it falls into the autistic kind of spectrum of difficulty with social communication theory of mind social imagination when it may all be a little bit more difficult to them um one of the big things with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder i think that, that then runs through life. And it's similar to what we've spoken about on some of the other podcasts and um, whether it be ADHD, but also with the substance misuse is often they self-medicate. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of mental health issues associated with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, there are also difference in the neurotransmitters as well. So their ability to regulate, so anxiety, depression and stuff, not only do they, because of the differences they have, they might find they're more predisposed, but there's actually a biological difference that, that predisposes them to those conditions as well. Uh, so, and also there seems to be that high vulnerability of a, of addictive nature as well. And that impulse control is all tying together to cause problems with then drugs, alcohol and stuff. So you can see where that, high level of incarceration with those who feel alcohol spectrum disorders going to yeah addiction's a really big thing isn't it so again my person it was gambling right so what i've read from it and what i've looked up locked up it's the addictions are because of those neurotransmitters mm. and that dopamine is a really really big one juicy hit yeah <laughs> and yeah. we want to keep going back for that hit and those sorts of things but then with the with the faz yeah. um it's the social construct after isn't it so gambling i've got 30 quid um i'm a bit skint mm. and i've got no more money to last me for the rest of the week but i understand that if i go again go spend all that money it's the decisions and it's choices consequences yeah maybe somebody sometimes this is just from my own personal experience with vaz would wouldn't think about the consequences that time it's just that rush to get that addiction fed mm, so that yeah. kind of that that rush a little bit but yeah um i think it's the the addiction side that's a really big part and then leads on to everything else like mental health and stuff like that yeah yeah mm. definitely i think it, what you said there was interesting as well related to the gambling is that um so money if we talk about the abstract concepts again it's one i tend to refer to as well when i'm when i'm teaching about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is um that money is an abstract concept um, it's quite complex and you ask any very young child, would you prefer uh, one pound or 520 P's? And most would say they want the 520 P's because at a young age, it's that concept of, well, there's five of them. So that's more. And that's quite a, a simple concept related to money. So if you've got a, a, 
a child with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, for instance, let's say that you've got some sweets and I really want those sweets. Well, what have I got to offer you? Oh, I'll give you a mobile phone for a sweet. Because as a concept of almost it's one for one, I give you one, you give me one. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily understand the full concept that that's worth hundreds of sweets, <laughs> let alone kind of just just the one. And there's also that impulse control, but, but I want a sweet now. Mm-hmm. So that's worth more to me than the mobile phone is. And they can't then delay that gratification again, if that makes sense. Again, so this makes them extremely vulnerable uh, from a kind of a social construct point of view or uh, you know social interactions that yeah it'd be easy to to manipulate somebody who has that concept of materialistic items of the one for one that if i give you this you give me that even though what they're giving is way, worth way more and probably mm-hmm. ties into the gambling a little bit doesn't it not really understanding the concept of what 30 pounds is that it's just scum it's there yeah. or it's not it's not the well i could save a bit of it or i could save a fiver's worth of it as well as the impulse control and that desire for the for the kind of the dopamine here as well mm. yeah um so one of the things um again another potential misdiagnosis or dual diagnosis um many individuals with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder do also struggle with attention deficit and also hyperregulation or uh, hyperactivity and those sort of things so whether it be regulating their emotions or whether it be regulating their movement or keeping focused on one particular task they all kind of tie in as well so again you've got all of these magnitude of different factors that are going to impact on their academic abilities so that's why it's kind of not a learning disability into itself. It it has a knock-on effect to all these different kind of symptoms that kind of affect their learning. I think um, I know that some some friends and family who've had children with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder have found it um, extremely challenging. And I think there's many adoptive parents out there that obviously they may not know when they adopt the baby and things like mm. that, that that there is that condition is a is a vulnerability is a risk um and then how much that impacts on this this child's day-to-day life and how they see the world um and and that's one of the things that we do around the behavioral management side uh, to try and help mm. people with that isn't it yeah so if we if we take some of those ideas um i think one of the things that is worth touching on and kind of uh as we're, we're talking about this condition and drawing the podcast to a close and things like that is what first off what doesn't work so a lot of the typical behavioral strategies that people utilize to manage behaviors particularly in children um don't work with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder i've given you one example there so pocket money for instance if they don't have to understand the concept of money in that that way that we do well pocket money is not going to be a worthwhile kind of way of adjusting behavior is it because why would i do that that i don't enjoy for one of them or Mm. for that money it doesn't drive me it doesn't kind of or i may not understand the concept of what i can get with that money and how much it's worth so that's not going to be the best kind of strategy um i know we talk a lot in a lot of different courses is moving away from the punishment reward so uh, we talked about it in lots of different podcasts, but the punishment reward kind of principle that you do something good, you get something good, you do something bad as a consequence. Um, and, and many parents out there have used things like star charts as an example of that, of a way of rewarding. If we've got that memory deficit, for instance, or the impulse control, I may love the star I get on Monday. Is it going to change what I do on Tuesday? It isn't going to influence my behavior. So Again, this is where, but we keep doing this, we keep trying this, we keep putting this in place and it doesn't seem to be improving things. Then the feeling is that that's the child's fault. They're not learning. They're not, yeah. they're not changing their behavior, even though we're trying to reward them or punish them and stuff like that. Um, 
I think it is that thing, isn't it? As I've probably said numerous times, Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But if you don't have any other way of yeah. doing it or don't understand any other way of doing it, then it's going to feel like banging your head against a brick wall. So, yeah. Um, so one of the things that I know works better for for individuals with like spectrum disorder is, is repetition, 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 repetition. It's got to keep happening over and over again in the same way. It's like consistency and repeated recognition, reinforcement, support over a period of time. With, um, with the person I was obviously supporting, there was a big, I won't say anxiety, but there was a bit like who's coming on tonight, who's here tomorrow. Mm -hmm. They wanted a step-by-step plan of mm. who was coming and what days were what so their work days were set days they never ever changed yeah. um everything was completely the same all the time and I won't say like a routine like they could have been flexible in their routine but it was more about if if something had to change on the spot pretty much okay with that mm -hmm. the change didn't upset them too much but it was the knowing in in, in advance and having that particular routine and stuff Very that that worked really well for them yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's an acronym that's um, used that's come from the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder community, uh, which is called screams. And screams is about kind of not you screaming at them or them screaming. It's about no scream parenting or no shout parenting, um, which is similar to the philosophies that we use in therapeutic parenting and we teach across the yeah. target system and stuff like that anyway. So the S in Scream stands for structure. So what you were mentioning there and talking about your your client is massive. So routines, boundaries, really important. But also, like I gave the example there of the ownership thing, there's structure too, putting in concrete concepts of the rules or communication or situational and things like that, really important to kind of do. So you're working to their abilities rather than expecting them to work to yours. Yeah, our, our general rule was because there was other tenants in that house as well. Yeah. So there was four people all together. If you've not bought it, it's not yours. And yeah. it was a it was like a house rule that we had. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't one that we had to enforce, but no. it was a case of if this particular client picks something up, we say, hang on a minute, who's is that? And they say, no, oh, it's that um, we used humor quite a lot yeah. and that worked really well but it was a, also a gentle reminder that please don't pick that up because that isn't yours yeah, so yeah and it worked really well i'll say you're given that concrete concept isn't it? Mm. that if you didn't buy it then it isn't yours yeah it's quite a simple concrete concept of ownership again to make yeah. it simplified so it's a, one that's quite adaptable for because you can't necessarily go around putting his name on everything in his house no for no. an adult as well yeah so. and you know other people didn't want their names on things they just wanted them people to know it belonged to them <laughs> yeah. The other one is, uh, they mentioned, so the C in Screams is cues and cues is they will need constant ongoing prompts. Mm -hmm. uh, similar to what we teach in ADHD as far as, you know, don't just set them a task and expect them to complete it. You know, you might need to keep helping, 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 helping. I think one of the frustrating things for, for many parents or many adults is we sometimes set the time frame of how long we think a person should have learned something by. Yeah. We've done this 15 times by now. You should know how to do it. But that may not be the case. You, you can't dictate that for a child with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. It may take hundreds of times before yeah. they get it. It doesn't mean you give up on it. It just means we keep going, keep going, keep going, keep um, prompting, keep queuing. And helping, as you said, like visual timetables, I think you mentioned, yeah. and things like that. For yeah. the individual, so he knew who was Again, coming in. Again, it was starting a task. That was the biggest mm. 
uh, I won't say challenge, but that was the hardest part. So it yeah. was the beginning of something. And once they got into their rhythm of doing it, it was like, all right, leave me alone. I can do it. And yeah. that was good. But we'd just check in mm -hmm. and then take as long as you need to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and th but then we'd have to remind them to stop right. for maybe lunch and things like that. Or yeah. it's so-and-so's turn to use the hoover now. And that could sometimes cause a bit of, well, you've told me to do something and I'm doing it. Yeah. And it's, it, yeah, so it's just, it was just gentle. So, so again, yeah, the concrete concept, isn't but it? But to end a task, we had to move on to another one. So we had to make sure we had a task ready. So mm. can you stop hoover in your bedroom because it's time to go make your lunch? The yeah. staff are here to help you support do that so that's what we did now it sounded quite interesting obviously the the guy you were working with even though he's in supported living um he he worked mm. yeah he loved it yeah it was his it was his purpose well it is his purpose so something that he was really interested in um by all accounts from past history I'd always been interested um interested in doing this thing that he was doing yeah what what was the job that he was uh, doing? gardening right, so yeah, okay, agri yeah agriculture work yeah, nice. um but when he went there he was surrounded by people with other disabilities as well yeah. and uh, he made lots of friends there he was so independent he would get himself up to go catch the bus this was something that was really really important to him yeah and um, so he caught the bus there uh, but i think it was three days a week three days a week he did that but yeah really really enjoyed it and mm led in again paid bills cooked for himself just needed some support prompting assistance yeah. and stuff but had a lovely girlfriend and right. had nice dates and things like yeah. that so yeah he, le he led well he leads a very as far as i'm still concerned now he leads a very good life yeah which is nice oh that's that's nice to hear isn't it yeah so i take it the employer was a kind of a specialist employer that, yes yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah, made adaptions and adjustments and understood. Yeah, it's it. not slave labour or anything. No, no, but also it's not a typical workplace that may no, have struggled no. with some of. It's that. an adapted workplace, which I think is absolutely amazing. So it's adapted to individuals' needs. Like they've all got care plans there and everything, mm, but they're yeah. being paid right. to do work that they yeah, are capable okay. of doing and like they're they're able to do. And there's mm. no limits there for them. Like they are, they have a bit of a go at everything, and mm. they've got support staff there as well. So really nice, oh, and okay. it's a work community. So he's got work friends. He's got online friends he's got outside he's got a whole community of different people that sounds really positive yeah yeah um uh, were they doing food then was it kind of when you say agriculture it was growing stuff yeah so a sell. bit of that mm. and then a bit of farm work and things like oh, that so okay. it was like gardening slash farm did they go around to different places or was it just one location just one big massive location in oh, Leicestershire okay. yeah they're worth looking out for aren't they as far as I know I know there is some forestry schools and those sort of things but I don't know about many around this particular area that does something I'm sure there are like I said East Mids again <laughs> <laughs> we're East Mids you're not your Lincoln <laughs> <laughs> um, okay so uh, to draw a bit of a close, as far as fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, we, we would genuinely, we kind of seek out to anybody who's watching this. Um, if you have some lived experience, you've got a family member or a loved one that, that um, is living with the condition, um, it'd be amazing to actually have some some direct kind of conversations and, uh, and learn more about. So please get in contact with us and, and let us know. Um, I have been directed and we're going to kind of look out on some of the forums and see if maybe we can kind of uh, get somebody 
actively involved. But whether it be a parent of somebody supporting somebody with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and we'd love to hear about the, the challenges and the, the positives uh, as well um, that, have, uh, that come from working with that, that child, that'd be amazing to have you on. Um, but hopefully you found today's podcast useful as far as a little bit of information about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, even if it's just to prompt you to go out and search some more and have a little bit more understanding around it, um, then that would be fantastic. All right. Otherwise, thank you very much. Bye.